You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I'd like to welcome a very special guest and a very, very dear friend, Sue Sternberg, owner of Roundout Valley Adoptions located in the beautiful Catskill Mountain Range in New York State. Sue is instrumental in educating shelters around the world about the importance of temperament testing dogs before they go out for adoption. And I must admit, Sue, you are truly a pioneer in the field. Unfortunately, still today, many shelters have no formal assessment of dogs. And as a result, many of these dogs are being returned to the shelters due to behavior problems and even worse, aggression towards their owners. Sue has written many books about adopting shelter dogs, but her most recent book is entitled Successful Dog Adoptions, published by Wiley, and is an in-depth guide on how to select the right dog for you. Sue's goal is and has always been to help people adopt the right dog for them so they stay in the home. So before we meet Sue, we'll take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Pick up something unique at a Bone to Pick dog boutique. A Bone to Pick has cool hip fashions for big and small dogs that will have their tails wagging in style. Cat products too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Check out our eco-friendly pet products and gifts for humans too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Get your pet's mouth watering monthly with our Gourmet Treat of the Month Club. And join a Bone to Pick's free birthday club for your puppy. A-B-O-N-E dash to dash p-i-c-k dot com pick up something special for your best friend at a bone to pick a-b-o-n-e dash t-o dash p-i-c-k dot com get 10% off with coupon code petlife got a cool cat got a cool cat got a cool cat do you have a cool cat in the house well, of course i do got a camera then take a quick pick of your cool cat and enter the Pet Life Radio Cool Cat Contest. Pet Life Radio is partnering with Morris and Nine Lives to give you the chance to win a really cool cat care kit. Get a Nine Lives Play and Scratch Play Post, Nine Lives Wooly Cat Bed, Nine Lives Food Bowl, Morris Play Spinners, and much, much more. You'll also get an autographed copy of pet edutainer Arden Moore's new book, Happy Cat, Happy You. Everybody gets a chance to vote, and the top five coolest cats win an awesome cool cat care kit from Pet Life Radio and Nine Lives. To enter, just go to the PetLifeRadio.com website or CoolCatContest.com. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets. 
where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your paranormal pet's ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Silvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Sue Sterberg, who will be talking to us about adopting a new dog. Hi, Sue. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pia. Thanks so much for having me. Good. I'm thrilled because this is such an important topic. I agree. My first question for you. If we had to pick the single most important thing to look for in a dog at a shelter, what would that be? I think while it sounds really simple, it's not quite as simple as it sounds. And that is to look for friendliness and to look for true sociability in the dog. And um, people always believe they know what a friendly dog looks like and they can feel it in their heart. I think it's always not as obvious when you're right at the shelter and you're having an emotional response to the dogs. And sociability is best defined by allowing the dog to initiate social contact with you. So when you go to the shelter, don't try calling the dog over. If you take the dog out of the kennel or a shelter worker takes the dog out of the kennel to meet you, ignore the dog and see if the dog will start contact with you. And uh, that's the best way to figure out if the dog's really being sociable or not. And don't you think also, Sue, because so many people with children go in, I personally think that the dog should exhibit just as much friendliness to the child as well as the adults. Do oh, you agree? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. In fact, what we try to look for, I mean, if, you, if you're a parent and you can go in without your kids at first and you select the most friendly dogs, you select dogs that you like um, and certainly then don't select dogs that are iffy, when you're ready to sort of make a choice or you have made a choice, then bring the kids in. And what you want to see from a dog that's going to live with a family with children, the dog should almost prefer the children. The dog should evenly distribute its friendliness to the family and be just as gentle and sociable with the kids as with the adults. Great point. Great point. Now, do most shelters do temperament testing on dogs? And if someone wants to ensure that the dog is tested, what should they ask? Because I know many people go to shelters and they're embarrassed to ask questions. And should they be embarrassed? No, they should not be embarrassed. And I, I think they should demand that the dogs be evaluated somehow. I liken it to going to a blood bank if you need blood for, let's say, a transfusion or you're going to have surgery. You would expect when you, when you get blood or go to a blood bank that the blood has been typed and cross-matched and screened for deadly diseases. And we consider that, you know, a standard of care. And dogs can be just as dangerous as the wrong blood type and as blood tainted with, you know, um, viruses and, and other diseases. 
and the wrong dog can be a, a violent weapon, and especially families with children should demand that a shelter does a, a very thorough evaluation of the dog's behavior and temperament. And if the shelter doesn't, they should either contact a, a certified dog trainer or behaviors to go with them to the shelter. I think it's really important to make sure you get the right dog and a safe dog. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I, I think also if they get the advice that they don't do temperament testing, that their dogs are fine, they probably should find another shelter. Do you not agree? <laughs> yeah, to be safe, they absolutely should. Um, the, the thing to realize, too, is that you want to ask what kind of formal assessment, because a lot of shelter people and rescue people feel if they can handle the dog and they haven't had a problem with the dog, that it means the dog is fine. And it might mean that the dog is fine, but what it really shows is that the dog would be fine with a professional or a professional trainer or a, you know, a shelter person who's worked with dogs their whole life. And the majority of people adopting are not professionals, and certainly children are never professionals. Um, and an assessment has to look beyond how the dog responds to professional people. Yeah, good point. And do most shelters screen out aggression or dangerous dogs? And if they don't, why don't they? Well, not all of them do, and some some don't screen it out because they actually don't know how to really look for it, and other shelters don't screen it out because they they adopt out just about anything. They don't euthanize, and they if a dog gets returned and it let's say it bit a five year old child, they might adopt it out then to a family with children six and older. Um, and most shelters, I think, are very responsible about, you know, um, selecting out uh, dangerous and aggressive dogs. But if they're using as their criteria um, how the dog does in handling during their incoming medical exam, then they won't really know about um, a lot of the aggressive and dangerous dogs. Right. And you told us a little bit about what to look for. Um, One of the most important key factors, friendly sociability. Um, What do you think people should look for to avoid a heartbreak later on so they choose the right dog? Um, Well, I wouldn't make any excuses for the dog. You know, if he's very mouthy or very jumpy or very rough um, or he frightens you a little bit, um, simply pass that dog on, go to the next dog. Uh, You should feel very comfortable with the dog. You should get a real connection from the dog. Sociability itself would be defined as gentle physical contact from the dog while orienting to you or your family that lasts two seconds or longer at a time. And that means any contact, even jumping up, because a lot of dogs are just not trained. When they jump up, it should be gentle. It shouldn't, like, punch your stomach and expel air. And once they jump up, they should linger there for two seconds or longer. Or if they put their nose or their muzzle against you or in your lap, if it lasts two seconds or longer, these are generally good rules. And that actually, finding a dog who is sociable is the best way to avoid the most aggressive dogs and the most aggressive dogs you know will jump off you or you know knock you up against a wall or they might um they might not connect with you at all and not give you any contact at all and um those are those are red flag behaviors a dog should appear appear pretty relaxed submissive would be okay like if he um you know if he sort of crouches down or grubbles over to you that's still okay it doesn't mean he's fearful um, you want a dog that is attracted to humans. Don't go for that one dog in the kennel that's very different than the others. It's not barking. It's sitting there. Um, sometimes that's the most fearful dog. You want a dog that comes to the front of the kennel, has his ears back, is, lowers his tail, wags with his whole body, 
and squints his eyes and blinks more than once every two seconds. <laughs> great, great. That That's wonderful advice. Um, so many people ask also, should they get a puppy or should they get an adult dog? And if they're thinking about a puppy, can we say that that's a clean slate? Is is that a better choice because it can be raised correctly and doesn't have a history of poor manners? Well, that's the, that's the age-old sort of nature-nurture question. Um, I have seen a lot of puppies that are downright dangerous, and I've seen a lot of adult dogs that are downright dangerous, and I've seen a lot of wonderful, sweet puppies and a lot of wonderful, sweet adults. I've seen great dogs raised by horrible people in horrible conditions, and I've seen really dangerous dogs raised by wonderful people in all the right circumstances. And I think when you go to the shelter, you want to look at every dog as an individual. Um, Just because you start with a young puppy does not mean if you are a good person and raise it right, it'll be fine. You want to look for the same things in each puppy that you would look for in an adult, and that is sociability, the lowering of the tail, the squinty eyes, and a, a very... Um, big social attraction to come to people even when not solicited. Um, if you're a family with young children and that's like eight and under, my recommendation is not to get anything over a year and that's really being safe rather than sorry. It's a, it would sort of be a, a, a huge overkill in terms of a safety net, but um, I'm not sure an eight-week-old puppy is the best for a family with young kids, but I like the sort of four-month-old to ten-month-old range. Um, And the reason it becomes more risky to adopt an older dog if you're a family with young children is if there is a problem, the um, adult dog and the, the mature dog is usually a little less inhibited in his bite. And that's only like if there's going to be a problem, the younger dog is likely to give you a warning because he's not developed his aggression yet. Um, and therefore, you know, even if it's a wrong choice or a wrong match, you can still, um, no one will get horribly hurt or no one should get horribly hurt. And the risk goes up the older the dog is. Wonderful. So in summary, basically you're saying don't pick the shy one in the corner as we've heard. Right. And don't pick the bully. Yeah, yeah. The, the bully is, is also not good, especially with children. Right, the dog that puts his mouth all over you, the puppy that, you know, pounces on you and does nothing but grab your hands and your clothes in his mouth. Right. Now, are there differences in the populations of dogs in different regions of the country? And if so, what are the regional differences? Well, it's really interesting. I've been traveling to shelters in this country and actually other countries since 1994, and there are some extreme regional differences in the United States the rural southeastern United States, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, um, and the southern plain states like Texas and, and, and those areas, the more rural areas tend to have the biggest population of dogs. Like they have the most unwanted dogs in their shelters because they have the most pet overpopulation. They have a year-round breeding season. Many people keep their dogs um, outdoors instead of in the house, which means they're out there available to be bred, accidentally or not. Um, But they also, these shelters tend to have the most behaviorally adoptable dogs as well. Um, And so, you know, if you go to a a shelter in, you know, rural Mississippi, let's say, you're going to probably find more uh, behaviorally adoptable dogs than you might find, let's say, in the Northeast. And that depends on a couple of things. In the Northeast, we've We've, had, we've been so successful in, at spaying and neutering dogs 
and we've taken care of, of pet overpopulation, and we don't have pet overpopulation in the northeastern United States. We have um, sort of dangerous dog overpopulation. We have fighting and guarding dog overpopulation because we're not successfully sterilizing those dogs. They're still breeding, and they're breeding sort of in abundance. Um, so there are huge regional differences. What happens is, as you know from St. Hubert's um, and, and my shelter, we partner with some of the overcrowded rural shelters in the south because they have more nice dogs than they have adopters. We have more adopters than we have nice dogs locally. So in partnering with them, I think people in the northeast should really look for shelters that transfer in from high-volume um, shelters with lots of nice dogs. Great. Let's continue on with the overpopulation topic um, right after we come back. Let's, we're going to take a very short break uh, to hear a word from our sponsors. So don't go away. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. <laughs> Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Fluff your feathers, roll out your tongue, shine your fins, snap on your leashes, and grab your human. It's the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo. Two full days of pet-tastic fun that no pet lover should miss. Join us for shopping, the Barks and Couture Fashion Show, Dream Pet Wedding, Ultimate Pet Makeover, Pet Communicator, Rescue Me Pet Adoption, Service Dog Demonstration, and tons of fun contests. Bring your pets and join us at the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo, Saturday, September 27th, and Sunday, September 28th, at the Kentucky Expo Center. For more information, go to LouisvillePetExpo.com. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, teacher's pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, your host, and joining us today is Sue Sternberg, owner of Roundout Valley Adoptions and a pioneer in the field of testing shelter dogs. Sue, before we went on break, we were talking about pet overpopulation, and I know it's been a hot topic for many years. And have we made any headway in reducing pet overpopulation in this country over the last, let's say, 30 years? We've made huge headway, and we should be celebrating it, but apparently we're sort of keeping it a secret. I don't know why, (laughs) but, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, when I started out in this field, the estimated numbers of animals euthanized in shelters was, you know, 20 to 30 million. Um, And the estimation now is anywhere from 2 to 4 million. I mean, that's an enormous decrease. Um, And spaying and neutering really drops the numbers down and can um, take out the population of unwanted pet dogs. Um, it does not, however, our spay-neuter campaign, it really doesn't motivate a lot of the guarding dogs or fighting dogs, sort of the high-crime profile type of dog to get sterilized, and so we're seeing a lot of those dogs still being bred. So we still have dogs in the shelters, but we don't seem to have a surplus in a lot of areas, in particular the Northeast. Um, we don't seem to have a surplus of uh, behaviorally adoptable dogs. They have that surplus still in the rural southeast and in the rural areas sort of of the middle of the country as well, but less so in uh, high-crime urban areas. Interesting. So is spaying and neutering an effective way to reduce pet overpopulation and lower euthanasia numbers? Clearly it is. Clearly it's very effective because we've so dramatically lowered the numbers of dogs that we're euthanizing in shelters, which is a a really good thing. I think at some point we really have to start talking about if we're going to sterilize them all, who should be breeding? Because I know we, you know, if you have a nice dog, you want a dog when that one passes. We all want more dogs. I, I envision myself having dogs for the next 40 years, and uh, I want to make sure that there are going to be plenty of good dogs for me to choose from in uh, uh, 30 or 40 years. And uh, if we continue kind of with what we're doing, I think we really have to look at who should be breeding and what should they be breeding for in order to protect the future of the pet dog as well. Yeah, I I, I so agree with that because pet dogs are so, so important for, for families. Another question, because I think this is, this is very confusing to a lot of people. What about no-kill shelters? And what are the difference between these no-kill shelters and the so-called kill shelters? I hate to call them that. But should people be only supporting no-kill shelters? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, within the shelter industry, we're trying to get away from the term no-kill shelter, and which comes with that is the kill shelter part. And um, the way we're trying to describe ourselves and define the issues is limited access shelters and open access shelters. And a limited access shelter is one that doesn't euthanize or euthanizes very little, but also screens out so uh, dogs. That, so they only allow in a limited number of animals. They want to allow in the ones that are um, behaviorally adoptable, and they want to screen out dogs with a, a bite history or a likely future of biting. So they're limited access. They often don't have empty kennels, so there's often a waiting list to get in. Open access shelters usually are animal control facilities. 
you know, which they're there for public safety as well. Um, if you find a litter of puppies in a storm drain, you know, where do you take them? You take them to an open access shelter. They're there to help the community. And they usually euthanize, and they usually try to euthanize the, um, the most unsafe population of dogs, and they try to put up for adoption the safest population of dogs. Because one shelter may not euthanize, it doesn't mean that the shelter that does euthanize is evil. It simply means that for every non-euthanizing shelter, there's got to be an animal shelter in that area that can accept unsafe dogs, that can take in bite quarantine dogs, that can take in strays where, you know, somebody can't take it in. They will then euthanize because they have to because they're taking in anything and everything, but they should not in any way be condemned for euthanizing. You have to have that partnership. If one shelter is not going to euthanize, somebody will have to accept in those uh, dangerous dogs and euthanize unless the alternative is you take in animals and you don't euthanize, and therefore they live out their lives in kennels. And very quickly, you'll fill up with unadoptable, aggressive dogs. And within a, a month, most dogs are spinning neurotically in their kennels. It looks like the worst kind of zoo, except it's louder. Or they're pacing, and, and they just have lost all quality of life. So basically, they're living technically in solitary confinement. It's, yeah, it can be, it can be, it's very hard to kennel a dog, even if you have the most wonderful kennel. They were never set up to house dogs for a long period of time. Kennels were set up to house um, large populations of dogs for small time, for, you know, very short amount of time. And since we have less animals, shelters are holding dogs longer. And while that's really helpful for the behaviorally adoptable dogs, it gives them more of a chance to find the right home, um, it if you hold um, non-adoptable or aggressive dogs they and you hold them more than a month, you really have to fight against the deteriorating effects of the, of the kennel. And once a dog has lost quality of life while living in a kennel, it's very hard to bring him back into a normal you know, mental state. Um, you'd have to put him in a foster home or get him out of the shelter. And the more dogs you have that are sort of deteriorated in a shelter or are you know, neurotically spinning or rebounding off the kennel walls, the more that behavior is contagious to the other dogs around him. Um, and so, you know, um, there are shelters that euthanize very little. They try not to euthanize, um, or they only euthanize the uh, behaviorally unadoptable dogs. And they can still, by definition, you know, call themselves no-kill, but uh, they still might be limited access or not. It's all very confusing. I think what we have to think about in shelters is, quality of life for the dogs and certainly quality of life for the community. We want to make sure we're putting out safe dogs into our community, that we're promoting a humane community. And with that comes, um, you know, somebody's got to take out the really dangerous dogs and make sure they're not ending up out in public again. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. I mean, to send a dog out that can give 45 stitches to a child's face. It, yep. It's just, it's frightening. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Another means of adopting a dog is through rescue organizations. Yeah. So what can people expect when they adopt from a rescue organization versus going to a shelter? Well, I think some of the same uh, things exist. There are great rescue groups. Uh, sometimes they specialize in a particular breed or they specialize in like a, they do small dog rescue or curly haired dog rescue or, Whatever, and um, first of all, they're usually experts in whatever 
type of animal they're trying to rescue, so they're a very good source of education for prospective adopters and what it's like to live with a particular breed or what it's like to live with a small dog or whatever. Some rescue groups are really good at screening temperament and assessing it fully, and other, other rescue groups um, are not good at that. And, uh, you know, they put the dogs into a foster home, and um, if it doesn't bite the foster owner, then it may go up for adoption, but no one really knows if it's a safe dog or not. And so, you know, again, consumer education, consumer demand, the dog should be thoroughly assessed and a good rescue group will always welcome the dog back if it doesn't work out without just blaming an owner. That's really something you're looking for. And I I assume the same holds true for a a good shelter. Absolutely. Correct. So what if the match is bad and it doesn't work out? What do people do? Um, Well, I think they should be able to call whatever shelter that they got their dog from um, or a rescue group, and re- return the dog there. A lot of the contracts from, you know, very reputable um, organizations will require that. So even if you, let's say you can't keep the sporting dog that you adopted, he's got way too much energy than you thought he would have, and your neighbor really wants him, like at our shelter, we would still ask that you return the dog to us so we can track it, and then we would adopt the dog out to your neighbor. And a lot of times shelters and rescues do that because we like to, first of all, follow up on our animals. And second of all, we offer a bunch of resources for, uh, you know, for ad- adopters, post-adoption services that we would like to um, make sure that we can offer to the next adopter. And sometimes, you know, we may have placed a particular dog with a particular uh, couple because they don't have any young kids and we don't want that dog then to be placed with a family with young kids. Um, we would want to, you know, we would want to screen it. But also, you know, if you're, if you're a consumer and you adopt a dog and it's simply for whatever reason not the right dog for you or you're not the right owner for the dog, you should be absolutely able to return that dog without fear of just being blamed or berated. The shelter should welcome the dog back. We recently got a 12-year-old pointer returned. I think there was a death in the family or the owner um, went into a nursing home. I don't really remember. And uh, so she came back to us. She's a lovely dog. We, you know, we certainly welcomed her back and we were actually able to find a home for her because she had a lot of life left in her yeah because we really never know what's going on in the home and so we really can't point fingers but no that's right well unfortunately we're out of time and i'd like to thank sue for joining us uh sue you've written many many books to help people learn more about selecting the right dog where can our audience purchase your books well they should go to www.greatdogproductions.com or www.animalsforadoption.org. Terrific, terrific. Now, remember, everyone, next week will be our week of training your dog at home. So make sure you're ready, obviously, by having your dog present, a bag of treats, and some tug toys. I'd like to give a special thanks to our producers for making the show happen. If you would like a transcript of the show or any other of the shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me at Pia, P-I-A, at PetLifeRadio.com. So, until next time, this is Pia signing off. Thank you, Sue, and thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. School's in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.